0: Hello, coming to you from the greatest recording studio in the world, aka my beautiful 2003 Honda Accord, welcome to Dissecting History, the show where I kick back and talk to you about some random people and random things and random events in world history, I'll give you my take on them. This isn't going to be a lecture, this is going to be just a fun talk, Uh, and I'm ready to uh, tell you guys about... An interesting uh, first topic that I have for the very first show of Dissecting History. So, for the first uh, ever uh, podcast I'll be doing, uh, our topic is Andrew Jackson. Yes, Andrew Jackson was the seventh president of the United States. He was the very first Democratic president of the United States, and he is on the $20 bill. He was an accomplished lawyer, statesman. Military leader and professional piece of crap. Andrew Jackson led a very controversial life and one that sometimes is forgotten. So, without further ado, let's jump into the life of Mr. Andrew Jackson. So, Andrew Jackson was born on March 15, 1767, in the Waxhaws region of the Carolinas. And the Waxhaws region is an awesome thing to say. I don't know why it just rolls off the tongue pretty nice. So, the Waxhaws region of the Carolinas was basically a, a very rural and um not fully charted wooded region of the Carolinas. Now, the Carolinas as most people in the United States would know is North and South Carolina, two different states. Uh, however, back in this time period, in the, seven, in the mid-1700s, um, that was uh, still owned by the United Kingdom. Um, they were one of the colonies at the time. Uh, there was no North or South Carolina, just the Carolinas. Uh, the Waxhaw's region was very hard to, you know, kind of chart and um, navigate. So the British just really didn't bother, uh, you know, dealing with that at the time. And they really never got around to it. Uh, by the time the United States gained independence, the British really didn't do much to um, scout the area out. So they kind just uh, kind of just uh, left it as a rather not unknown region, but uh, not, it wasn't never treated as important. Uh, with that said, Andrew Jackson was dirt poor. Uh, his family was uh, from Ireland. Uh, and, uh, they just kind of got on a boat, went down to Philadelphia, and then they eventually went down south and, uh, found themselves a little place to live in the Waxhaw's region. Now, the Waxhaw's region, like I said, was super uncharted. No one really gave a crap about it, especially the British. The British kind of had other things to do, like, you know, dealing with a bunch of different other countries that they needed to control and, uh, prevent from rebelling. Uh, so, you know, and also the fact that kind of had to pay off a lot of wars that they were uh, fighting in at the time. So, and it, from the past as well. So the British really didn't care about, you know, the sticks, I guess, if we were going to call it that. The Waxhaw's region was, was not that important to them. So Andrew Jackson being poor and living in a region that was really not that important to the strongest country in the world that controlled the region... Uh, his birth location is not well, well known. There's no town. Note that I said he was born in the Waxhaw's region. There is no specific town. Uh, his father died uh, like two weeks before he was even born. He died in a lumber accident. Um, so he never even met his dad. He had a couple of siblings, and he was raised by his mom and his aunt and uncle. Now, uh, they don't even know which side of the family, which aunt or uncle, uh, and uncle, and um, Took care of the fa- helped take care of Andrew Jackson, his mom, and his siblings because once again, there's really no documents uh, to f- to point to who, which side of the family, or who specifically uh, took them in. Both of which, both sides of the family, both aunts and uncles lived in the Waxhaws region. So uh, once again, since there was no uh, specifications in terms of his location and the fact that he wasn't super rich, or would I even say? Well off in general, um, he's his location and where he kind of grew up specifically is somewhat of a mystery. Um, so he was actually since he was dirt poor, he was uh, actually educated by local priests. There are two local priests in the area. That's as they say, and they he taught they taught him how to basically you know read and write and basic stuff that you know most kids would just learn in kindergarten, um, but. Andrew Jackson was dirt poor with his family, they barely made it by, and uh, he always kind of felt that he was on the bottom, which was a pretty accurate statement. He was the bottom of the barrel, Uh, he was pretty much the lowest of the low. Um, Now, with that said, Andrew Jackson uh, had kind of a chip on his shoulder his entire life. Um, That is to say, he hated people who were in charge of him, or in control of him, or... You know we're on top uh, because he was he recognized that he was on the bottom and he hated that. You see a lot of people in world history who grew up from the bottom and rose to the top, and they were super super humble because of their very humble beginnings. Andrew Jackson, uh, the scumbag that he is, did not see life that way. He hated pretty much anyone who would try to have dominion over him. He wanted to be the the king, he wanted to be on top, he wanted to be the chief, you know Uh, and he spent the rest of his life uh, you know, scheming and trying to get his way to the top, whatever way it took Uh, you know, Andrew Jackson was, you know, more or less a power hungry guy I mean, he, he did have ideas he did have goals, but his main motivation was to gain power because he grew up on the bottom, and you only have you don't have anywhere else to go but up from that point. Um, which really helped, made his personality, which really shaped his personality, was the situation that he lived in. The fact that he was super kind of power hungry. But also he was a, uh, they say that he was hot-headed. He was a bully. He liked to pick on other people. And he yeah also kind of stemmed from the fact that he, you know, kind of craved, you know, attention and power and control. So he picked on other people and he, was a jerk, to say the least. But he was, interestingly enough, he was protective of the weak. Uh, They say that Andrew Jackson would protect anyone who really couldn't protect themselves, so I'm assuming, like, the nerds, I guess, for lack of a better term, the people that were just kind of, like, the kids that really just couldn't defend themselves, and Andrew Jackson would defend them. Uh, There was one stipulation, uh, they had to do whatever he said. So, you know, what a guy, I know. But Andrew Jackson kind of had the... Uh, Thomas Hobbes philosophy which is basically you know you live under my control I'll protect you but if you cross me you're dead and that's how Jackson lived his entire life just as he was a little kid you protect anyone that need to be protected but if anyone tried to go after him including the people that he was protecting they better hide because he will ruin them um, Andrew Jackson would eventually have his first major part in U.S. history with his experience in the Revolutionary War. Now, one of the big things that really got his family into the Revolutionary War, involved in the war for that matter, was there was a thing, a, a, um, a, uh, I guess it's kind of hard to call it a battle, but it was called the Waxhaw Massacre. If you remember, he was from the Waxhaw region, and when you put Waxhaw and Massacre together, it doesn't sound all that great, because it wasn't. Uh, The Waxhaw Massacre occurred on uh, May uh, 29th in 1780. Um, The leader of the British military, or that part of the British military, was uh, a guy by the name of Bannister Tarleton. He was basically one of the most brutal British generals of the time, the United States hated this guy with a passion. Um, If there was one thing about Tarleton that most historians remember is that uh, he was brutal. He didn't really care. He would slaughter people. He would destroy towns. If you didn't side with him, if you didn't join him once he, you know, captured you, it was game over. You know, you were nothing to him if you weren't gonna listen to what he had to say uh, kind of a precursor to Andrew Jackson he was kind of similar to Tarleton in a sense but uh, it seems like a lot of these horrible people that Jackson either was against or actually aligned with and you'll, we'll learn more about this in a little bit tended to be his kind of like the framework of what he would eventually become which is very interesting But in any case, Tarleton came into the Waxhaw region, once again, not really known which part, just kind of like little villages and areas. And he captured a bunch of uh, patriots that were trying to fight against the British during the war. Um, So one of the big things you need to remember is that there were loyalists in um, this time. There were people living in the colonies that basically... Didn't want to be free of British rule, or at the very least, they were afraid, or they thought they were going. The colonists were going to lose, so they sided with the British. If the British came to town, they would help them and stop any of the rebels. And um, during the Waxall Massacre, what led up to the Waxall Massacre is that the British came in, completely owned the Patriots who were fighting at the time uh, in the Waxall region, and oddly enough, very out of character. Banister Tarleton was like, okay, cool, you guys surrender, we're not gonna do anything, just you're done, alright he didn't, there wasn't a lot of bloodshed initially, which was very odd, they got him however, there was one rebel, they don't know who it is, cause again it's it's not known and for many reasons, mostly because of what happened after um, the battle this one rebel decided that it would be a phenomenal idea to shoot at General Tarleton and he actually hit Tarleton and knocked him off his horse and then all hell broke loose Um, a bunch of the loyalists in the area just completely came down on all the rebels even though only one guy kind of resisted surrender and went after Tarleton. Tarleton ended up surviving, actually. He was, for the most part, pretty fine, actually. But the Loyalists didn't care, and they completely, along with the British military, massacred the town in the Waxhaw region. This was a major part, in reason, I guess, for the Jackson family to get involved in the war. I mean, the war came to their their hometown, I mean, their home region, whatever you want to call it, it hit close to home, you know, literally and figuratively. Uh, So Jackson's brother, I believe his name is Hugh, actually decided to enlist in the war uh, or in the the military, in the the colonists, uh, you know, militia. And he ended up dying in a battle, not because the British or anything, you know, shot him or, you know, he got captured or anything. He actually just died of severe uh, dehydration. And, you know, that was actually common at the time because, again, like, it wasn't like this was, it wasn't like the US military is today. It isn't top notch, you know, services in terms of medical, you know, protection, weapons. I mean, it was very ragtag, you know you would just go grab your neighbor and be like, hey, bro, let's go fight the British. Maybe we win. Most likely we won't, but let's just hope for the best. And that's pretty much how it worked. It wasn't like, you know, how you sign up for the military today. It was, come on, guys. Let's do it. Let's go fight the British. Uh, Do you have any weapons? And, you know, the guy will be like, oh, I have a shovel. Does that count? They're like, good. Let's just go. Do whatever it takes. So these guys were not that professional, did not have a lot of funding. So... Uh, Hugh Jackson's death um, was pretty common. I mean, though a lot of people obviously died in battles, this guy just died because he was just not healthy. He didn't, you know, he was not really, you know, in the best shape. And it's unfortunate, but again, it's happened a lot of times. This wasn't a, an easy war for the United States to win. People were dying not even because of actual physical violence sometimes they were dying because they just didn't have enough water which was really sad but was a dark reality um, but in any case at that point Jack Andrew Jackson and his uh, brother Robert decided to join the rebellion and this is where Jackson you know the fur this is the first true ex- Point, I guess, in history where Jackson gets involved, even though it's not that major, but it's the first real involvement that Jackson has in history, and um, it's 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 really just his start. And this beginning that Jackson has once he joins uh, the militia was almost his end, uh, but. He got lucky, and here's why. So uh, in 1780, once again, after the massacre, after his brother, his involvement and death in the war, his mom basically said, Andrew, Robert, you gotta do something. You gotta help out. So they're like, okay, cool, Mom. Anything for you. We'll go kill some British. We already hate them because, you know, Hugh died. Even though Hugh didn't actually die from the British, in Andrew Jackson's stupid mind, or at least a mind that didn't think everything through logically. He just attributed Hugh's death to the Brits. So that made him hate the Brits, uh, even more after what, all the things they've already done. But he had a true vendetta against the British and it would only grow once him and Robert joined the war. So they, they actually were involved in a couple of battles, um, not too major, but then they are captured by the Brits. And, The Brits did not really give a crap about their prisoners of war. Now, obviously, they already saw a lot of, if not all, of the colonists as traitors, which, technically, that's exactly what they were. They were, you know, going against the crown, and they really didn't treat Robert... Andrew or any other um, uh, person that they had captured with a lot of care or respect. They did not feed them pretty much at all. They did not give them a lot of water. This led to them getting smallpox. And again, you don't really hear a lot of stories about smallpox now because it's been kind of dealt with, but back then if you got it your chances of survival were not that great. And Andrew Jackson and his brother were withering away in a camp as they were not being given supplies or anything to be kept alive by the people that captured them. And they were degraded, talked down to, beaten, and to the point of almost death, as they were already on death's door because they were sick uh, with smallpox, and on top of that, Andrew Jackson was just so mad and so stressed at the whole situation that was going on that he, at one point, a refused to shine the shoe of a or boot or whatever it was. Who cares? Of a Brit of the commander, uh, the British commander in charge of their POW camp or whatever you would like to call it at the time. Um, And he was, and you know, the British commander was like, Yo, Andrew, do me a solid. And when I mean do me a solid, I mean do it or die. Uh, Do me a solid and clean my, or shine my boot. And Andrew Jackson basically was like, No, screw you. Um, Not going to happen. So the British general, the gentleman that he was, grabbed the back of his rifle and hit, or musket, and hit Andrew Jackson in the face with it. And then Robert tried to get involved, and then Robert had the same fate. So they did not really like the British. Andrew Jackson was already willing to stand up to the British, or authority for that matter, or at least authority that he didn't think deserved to be in charge of him, which is pretty much everyone because he just kind of thought of himself as the greatest thing in the history of the world. So on the brink of death, somehow, some way in the year of 1781, while they're in the POW camp, their mom bails them out because Andrew Jackson's mom is literally the mom of the year in 1781. Like, what a legend. She just shows up to the camp and's like, can you guys, like, whatever you want, just give me my son's back. And I'm sure the British were kind of like, okay, they're pretty much useless anyway. So they gave them to Mrs. Jackson. Because Mrs. Jackson is amazing. I mean, come on. Like, what? Like, what a legend, seriously. Like, round of applause for Mrs. Jackson for saving her sons. You know, like, wow. Like, seriously, she does not get the credit she deserves. In any case, she bails her two clown sons out and takes them to their house however there's really not any transportation back then that was you know fast they don't have cars they have wagons and horses and mules but they're dirt poor like i said so they had to kind of walk home in the rain which was 40 miles by the way the distance between the camp and their house so they're gonna die it looks like i mean this looks like the story is about to end but somehow some way god was like no we're keeping andrew jackson alive and andrew jackson and his brother and his mom barely made it home in one piece she tries to save both of her sons unfortunately robert does die of smallpox and andrew jackson it's looking like that's about to be the same thing. But like I said, God was clearly not done with Andrew Jackson because his mom was miraculously able to nurse him back to health. And Andrew Jackson was good to go. Unfortunately, he was still kind of ticked off that his brother died. And, you know, rightfully so. I mean, this time his brother did kind of die because of the Britishes. The Britishes. I don't really. It sounds weird. The Britishish. The British sh- 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 sounds like Gollum, but in any case, because of the Brits, uh, that sounds better, because of the Brits' um, wrongdoing, Robert had died, and Andrew was still ticked off about it, rightfully so. His mom, at this point, is like, wow, like I can actually be useful, this is, this is quite incredible. So she decides to become a nurse for uh, the militia, and unfortunately, she dies of cholera. She contracts it, and she passes away. So now, Andrew Jackson is 14 years old. He is an orphan now. He has pretty much, no, he has no family a- at all at this point. Who knows where the heck his aunt and uncle went. They probably died, uh, but as of this point, he's 14 years old. He is orphaned. He has nowhere to go, he, and it's looking like it's over for him. He is bitter. He is ticked off. He is an angsty 14-year-old who is really mad that he has nothing. And he blames it all on the British Empire, because the British Empire, to him, slaughtered a bunch of people in his area, were responsible for the deaths of his mom and two brothers, and responsible for all the crap that he had to deal with because he's been living in poverty his entire life. And, you know, unlike a rational human being who would go, okay, you know, the British are being horrible, but... I need to let this go if I need to, you know, move on and become a better and more successful and just healthier person overall. But Andrew Jackson was like, forget that. I'm just going to be mad the rest of my life. And yeah, we will see that continues to be a theme in the life of Andrew Jackson. So the 14 year old Andrew Jackson is looking like it's over for him. He's orphaned, he's got nowhere to go. But the local lawyers, a local lawyer, a local attorney, for the first time, attorneys are actually not shifty slime balls. This local attorney comes in and takes him in and he mentors him. And Andrew Jackson becomes a lawyer. Andrew Jackson, attorney at law. And Andrew is getting pretty good at it. He's doing pretty good, he's working his way up the ladder and he's making friends along the way. Um, in, you know, just in South United States. At this point, the United States has won the war. Free country. It's star spangled awesome. And Andrew Jackson's actually having a decent life. He's doing pretty well. And he actually, through all his connections, befriends a guy named William Blount. And William Blount is one of the founding fathers. Um, and he is a very influential guy in Southern United States. Um, one of the most important things to know about William Blount was William Blount was the very first person or first politician in United States history to ever be impeached. And this is because he tried to, he went behind the backs of the United States and he tried to arrange a deal with, uh, the British to acquire... Uh, land in southern United States, or what we would call modern day Florida, and he got caught, and he was obviously under fire for you know his shady dealings. Um, this was the type of guy that Andrew Jackson was being mentored by at this point. These were his. This was the type of guy that was his friend. Uh, he was obviously taking notes from this guy. This guy literally tried to take land for himself. And Andrew Jackson... This definitely is one of the first times... Where Andrew Jackson's heads, The wheels in his head start turning. And... Andrew Jackson... The American Sith Lord, pretty much... Um... Starts thinking, oh... I can take whatever I want... If I have enough power. And, uh... Yeah... This is, this is the beginning of Andrew Jackson's dark career of blood and betrayal. So, Andrew Jackson, at this point, um, though he's, he's actually, he gets elected to be, uh, a member of, I believe, uh, what would you call it? It's like, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it, because it's like, at the time, this is in, like, the 1790s, and at this point, Andrew Jackson he is still a lawyer successful at that but he is actually elected because of popularity and you know because he's cool guys hip local celebrity you know andrew jackson the stud that he is gets elected onto like the delegation i guess is the best way to call it uh, i don't know the actual term because you know mistakes were made i guess uh, i'm doing this for my car like i said uh, professional, professional podcast but he's elected this delegation, and it's basically representation in, or to at the very least listen to, what's going on in the central government in the United States. And he's able to actually listen in on the founding fathers and the other you know, high-ranking individuals at the time, including George Washington, uh, and listen into to what they're up to and what they're talking about. And George Washington, of course, at this time, is the president of the United States. And Andrew Jackson freaking hates him. And if you don't like George Washington... We know that you are a villain, so that should be your first sign. If you don't believe me, if you listen to this whole podcast and you don't still don't think that Andrew Jackson is a bad guy, he didn't like my man G Dubs. Like, if you don't like George Washington, I mean, come on, you got a problem. But in all seriousness, he hated George Washington. He hated John Jay. He hated a lot of the founding fathers because the a lot of the founding fathers were. Um, had ideologies that just kind of conflicted with Andrew Jackson's ideas, which were very, rather bizarre, because Andrew Jackson um, was just kind of one of those guys that his ideas kind of flipped what was beneficial for him. He hated people who were in charge, and British, George Washington, people who were trying to run the government with a, I guess, larger control. George Washington though he was actually not affiliated with any part. He, wasn't, he was affiliated kind of with this party. He, was not, he didn't have a specific party. George Washington is the only president in United States history to have an entire term or entire presidency being an independent. Uh, but he was affiliated with a group called Federalists. Uh, they believed in a large government. And Andrew Jackson just, I mean, uh, again, this is a fair point. Andrew Jackson didn't like the idea of a larger government, at least at the time. This is in part because they just got away from a large government, i.e. the British Empire. But Andrew Jackson, again, doesn't just dislike someone or isn't just miffed. He hates and he gets enraged. There is no, you know, middle ground for him. It's one way or the other. It's very black and white for Andrew Jackson. So he hates, hates, hates George Washington and the people that are in George Washington's circle. Um, He actually does align himself with an individual, and I think some of you will probably know this guy, even if you're not a history buff, but he aligns himself with a guy named Aaron Burr. Now, Aaron Burr was the third vice president of the United States. Aaron Burr killed a guy while he was the vice president. Now, if you can imagine Mike Pence, or Joe Biden, Dick Cheney. You can definitely imagine Dick Cheney, but like, let's just let's just say Joe Biden, Mike Pence, probably couldn't imagine them literally killing a guy while they were the vice president. But Aaron Burr was that type of guy, and Aaron Burr uh, killed Alexander Hamilton, uh, another instrumental, um, influential strong member of early United States government and Alexander Hamilton basically just said something that Aaron Burr didn't like Aaron Burr was like I will not stand for this let me kill you and they had a duel and Alexander Hamilton died Aaron Burr you know took him down uh they actually say Alexander Hamilton wasn't even trying to kill him he was gonna like shot up into the air and Aaron Burr was just like no I'm in it to win it I am out for blood so Aaron Burr was a 100% scumbino and not a good guy he was dismissed obviously as the president as the vice president he wasn't a very popular dude I mean he fell from grace because of that and once again just like Blount this is another bad dude that uh, Andrew Jackson befriends and Aaron Burr, after his tumultuous time as vice president, decides to go south in search of new territory. Um, at the time, um, we were, you know, the United States wasn't huge, but it had it was acquiring more land, and Aaron Burr was basically trying to get a bunch of people to come together to acquire new land with the false pretense that he was basically trying to acquire it for the United States, because what an amazing patriot this man is. Way to make up for your mistakes, Aaron Burr. You're gonna go take some land, not take some land, but acquire some land. Take is a strong word. Acquire. That's a gentle, it's a classy word. He's gonna go acquire some land for the United States. Like the hero that he is. But that was a lie. He just wanted to basically conquer a new territory with his own little military, take some land down south, and start his own country. Aaron Burr, once again, was another bad dude that wanted power, wanted his way. And Andrew Jackson was very similar to him. But the one thing that Andrew Jackson didn't like was the fact that Aaron Burr lied to him. Aaron Burr told him, we're getting land for the United States. Once Andrew Jackson found out that he was not helping the United States, he was helping Aaron Burr. And that he was duped. He completely turned against him. Once again, very like Andrew Jackson. If you cross him, prepare to die, either literally or figuratively. Andrew Jackson will choose. He will. He doesn't mind either way. And Andrew Jackson tattletailed <laughs> on uh, Aaron Burr. You know, was one of the members of the of this little group of people that Aaron Burr had brought together, uh, him along with a bunch of other people who found out about this, completely went back to the U.S. government, got the military, and completely owned Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr got arrested and was almost, you know, sent to prison for the rest of his life. He was, you know, they let him go, and he kind of left, he lived the rest of his life as... A loser, pretty much. Unfortunately, but Andrew Jackson was fond of this dude, you know. But he, you know, didn't wasn't a hundred percent with him. And Andrew Jackson wants you to be a hundred percent all the time with him. And Aaron Burr did not do that. So Andrew Jackson's alliance with Aaron Burr, another bad guy, but to extent to an extent, an ins- uh, influence on Andrew Jackson. But nonetheless, this alliance died. Andrew Jackson is eventually, uh, involved in military once again, this time as a general. He has, he's a respected guy, he's a smart guy, uh, and a devious guy. And we will see here his involvement in two wars, 1812 and the Seminole War. Now, 1812 is a rather forgotten war in U.S. history. It does give birth to the Star-Spangled Banner, um and I believe the first actual modern day, or not modern day, but first the beginning of the American flag as we know it today. Um, quick crash course on this war. It was between the United States and the British. Once again, it was basically the rematch. Um, the British were fighting the French um, empire at the time because Napoleon, the leader of the French empire, if you don't know anything about Napoleon, he was the short guy that liked to conquer a lot of lands. Uh, and he was pretty successful at it for a while. The British wanted help. The British needed support. The British didn't want the United States to help France. Now, France, in the past, had helped the United States in the Revolutionary War. So obviously Napoleon was like, brochachos, chachos like, come on, we're, we're pals, right? Help me out. And the United States didn't want to get involved. Because, like, again, that's a problem. It's, it's it, you know, I mean, if you ever been involved in a fight between two groups, two friends. I mean, I wouldn't really call the British friends more like, you know, that like acquaintance that you like awkwardly like do like a half smile and a wave to in the whole. That's kind of like the relationship between the United States and the British. It's like everyone knows, including them, that, you know, they have beef, but they're trying to let it go. And obviously they don't want to get in each other's hair anymore, but like at the same time, there's still some like, you know, deep down like issues and stuff. But the French were actually friends. But this is like an issue between a guy that they don't want to, the, the guy that they don't want to make mad, the British, and their actual friends, the French. And the United States was basically like, "No, I'm not. I'm not involving myself in this." Um, and the British did not take to that very well. And the British actually helped supply some Native Americans who were trying to fight against the United States, a confederacy that was building under a guy named Tecumseh. And they funded—the British, in retaliation to the United States literally doing nothing, helped supply Tecumseh and his troops, um, Indian fighters— or, yeah, Indian fighters, but Indian Confederation, um, uh, with um, guns and weapons. And once the United States found out about this, they were ticked, and the war was on. And they fought, and both sides were humiliated. The only side that actually comes out on top in this is actually Canada— because Canada helped the British and completely disowned the United States, and clearly Canada will never let the United States live this one down. Um, it ends in a stalemate, but Andrew Jackson is involved in this war. He does fight the British, and he hates the British. And he also hates Native Americans, because Native Americans were also kind of helping the British. They were They were an aspect of this war. He grows even more hatred towards the British, and he grows a hatred for the Native Americans. And Andrew Jackson, despite this war being a stalemate, no one actually wins or loses, he is not done. He, he's he got a score to settle. And then comes the Seminole War, which was a war fought between the United States military and a bunch of Native American tribes, or a tribe named Seminoles. And they lived in modern day Florida Uh, Florida was owned by the Spanish Empire at the time but Spain really wasn't paying attention to Florida it wasn't that important to them so it was kind of being run by the Seminole tribes and actually a bunch of free slaves that escaped into the region so they were actually giving the US military some issues just on the border or in the area and Andrew Jackson and his troops were sent down to just quell them just to stop them Guys, back off. And they did that. They solved the problem. They stopped the Seminoles. But Andrew Jackson was not done. General Jackson was like, Guys, we can do this. Let's go invade Florida. And, you know, obviously the government was like, No, we're not going to invade another country. That's stupid. What is wrong with you? And Andrew Jackson's like, There are a lot of things wrong with me, but I will not tell you any of them because my ego is too large for me to admit my failures. Anyway, I'm going to invade Florida anyway. So peace. And before the U.S. government has any time to react, Andrew Jackson has already completely taken Florida for the United States. In one of the shadiest moments in early American history, Andrew Jackson literally doesn't disregards just, just orders from the top and takes land from another country. So guys, when you're in Disney World and you look around at the Epcot ball and Space Mountain. And, you know, all the fun stuff there. Just think. You can thank Andrew Jackson for it. So, maybe that was one good thing he did. And good is a quite the stretch, but thanks for Florida, I guess, Andrew Jackson. And there you go. Uh, the U.S. government is not too happy about this, and they try to court-martial him, and the dude is almost taken down. And a guy named John C. Calhoun, a member of John Quincy Adams, uh, I'm sorry, not John Quincy Adams, uh, that was the next president, uh, um, James Monroe's uh, cabinet, is um, a major proponent for court-martialing General Jackson. And he almost does it, um, however, there is uh, some people who just said, you know what? Let's just, just, just not deal with the drama. We don't need this right now. Drop it. Um, Calhoun wasn't happy about this. John Calhoun was the secretary of war in John, uh, James Monroe's cabinet. And like, again, again, like he's the guy that's trying to fit, you know, the military Run, you know, the wars and military involvement, and the fact that one of the generals is just disregarding orders, obviously ticks him off, and he tries to take a shot at Jackson, court martial him along with a bunch of other people. Um, In in the end, it 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 amounts to nothing. Andrew Jackson gets away, and uh, he does find out about this. Andrew Jackson finds out that people are after him, but. Calhoun somehow, some way, is not, you know, revealed to be the mastermind behind this. A guy named William Crawford, another member of the Monroe uh, administration, um, uh, is pretty much the scapegoat. William Crawford also hated Jackson, but he was really not the main proponent to take Jackson down. Though he obviously supported it, he was more of a vocal guy. And um, Calhoun was able to get out of Jackson's uh, <laughs> target target range because Jackson's target range had a lot of names on it. And Crawford was added to that, that list of names on Jackson's hit list, but Calhoun did, was not. Um, Jackson, after his involvement, despite kind of being exposed as... A renegade, Jackson actually started getting support um, from people. He um, actually started getting more involved in politics. And, quick side note, during this whole time, he was still committing crimes. Even after all the other stuff I've just mentioned he tried he duelled a guy named charles dickinson not charles dickens not charles dickens don't think that he didn't he didn't kill the author of um you know scrooge okay he didn't he didn't kill the author of a christmas carol i'm sorry i couldn't spit that out for some reason um he killed a guy named charles dickinson um Charles Dickinson insulted Andrew Jackson's wife. Now, today, if you insult someone's wife, obviously, you're, you're going you're gonna to get mad, of course. I mean, you know, how, how dare they insult, you know, your wife? And, you know, you might, you know, stand up for her and say, bro, back off. Um, but back then, times were different. Someone made fun of your wife. You did the only rational thing you could. You shot them in the face. And that's exactly what Andrew Jackson did. He challenged Charles Dickinson to a duel, and he killed him. So Jackson, despite all of this, and I had to add this, I had to jump back to this Charles Dickinson duel because it was the most famous duel that Jackson was involved in because he killed a guy. And he dueled so many other people before. Um, it's ranged from, like, nine duels to, like, in the 50s. In terms of people he's just fought because he and again like despite the number and again it's not really known if he's killed anymore he's wounded people charles dickinson literally shot andrew jackson in the chest and like like the terminator andrew jackson just like looks up and just like like feeling no pain just completely shoots charles dickinson with no mercy and no remorse and he did that to a bunch of other people as well. And the reason I had to just jump to that is the fact that this happened over the course of his political career, including the, his presidency. This is the type of guy that he is. And he's gaining support from people. And a lot of people listening would be like, why the heck is this clown gaining support? And why the heck is he on the $20 bill? Well, we're going to get into this. So Andrew Jackson, you know, grew up poor. And the poor people of the time supported him. They were like, you know, he was like their champion. And, Andrew Jackson is able to gain some support from the people on the bottom. He is, you know, he's like, he's the man of the people. He's like, yeah, like, come on, like, join me. Like, I will be, you know, the, the people's president. And, to his credit, he was the very first president born poor. Um, and, you know, Andrew Jackson knew that. He knew that he was on the bottom and he was able to claw his way to the top. And in 1824, he ran for president. He actually won what is called... He, he won... I, I really don't know what to call it, but it's, it's, it's a thing known as the plurality. Um, the plurality of the votes. He went against John Quincy Adams. Um, Andrew Jackson, he won this plurality, and that is to say, Andrew Jackson didn't win the majority. He didn't get enough votes. But at the time, there were other people running for president, you know, that had enough support. There were like four major candidates. So Andrew Jackson, combined with the two other guys, actually had more votes combined over John Quincy Adams. But John Quincy Adams even though he won the majority, he didn't win the plurality, which is, like, one of the dumbest things ever. This actually ends up being a thing where... Um, he, 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 John Quincy Adams isn't winning. And I'm sorry, actually, I'm incorrect about this. So let me, let me rephrase that. John Quincy Adams was supposed to lose. Andrew Jackson was supposed to win. Uh, he had the most votes, I'm sorry. Andrew Jackson, my fault, had the majority of the votes... And he lost because Quincy Adams and the other people combined would beat him. And in the end, there was the, the vote had to basically went to a revote. And the House of Representatives decided the president of the United States that year in 1824. And Andrew Jackson lost, and John Quincy Adams won. And Andrew Jackson was a little bit ticked off. We talk about you know modern day President Trump did not win the public or the popular vote. He won the electoral college. This is one of the very few times when. He didn't. President did not win the popular vote. This is like one of like four or five times in U.S. history. And Quincy Adams is the first example of this. Andrew Jackson is ticked off that he lost because of this, and he calls it a corrupt bargain. Um, and he decides to form what is now or what is the Democratic Party. Andrew Jackson runs again in 1828, and completely destroys Quincy Adams this time. People have spoken. Andrew Jackson is the poor man's champion, and he wins. So, Andrew Jackson wins, and his vice president is none other than John Calhoun, the guy that tried to ruin his career. Now, John Calhoun was able to sweet-talk Jackson. (laughs) He was able to sweet-talk Jackson... And basically be like, dude, you're the man. You're you're awesome. Like, hey, how about I become your vice president? And actually, Calhoun was actually Quincy Adams' vice president, but he fully flipped sides once he realized Jackson was going to win. And Jackson somehow fell for this. Calhoun was a, was a game player. He knew what he had to do, and he did it. And he convinced... <coughs> excuse me. Allergy season, my friends. Anyway, um, he convinced Andrew Jackson to make him his vice president, and he did. Calhoun and Jackson have some issues and ultimately through um, many scandals um, and betrayal Calhoun is the first vice president to quit and um, yeah, I think I'll dive into that in another podcast because there's there's a lot of Meat to chew on when it comes to Calhoun and Jackson's relationship. But to put it simply, Jackson and Calhoun disagreed on pretty much everything. Jackson wanted big government at the time. He wanted to control everybody because, of course, he was in control. He wanted to have dominance over everyone. Calhoun said, well, I want to be able to say, or uh, my state, any other state, to say no to a law that we think is (laughs) unconstitutional. Jackson was pretty much just like it's treason then and actually tried to invade it was threatening to invade South Carolina his home state and also Calhoun's kind of home state and basically says because you know if you don't if South Carolina and any other state wants to oppose the national government I will attack with the, with the military <coughs> At this point, Calhoun's like, dude, like, I can't work with you anymore. And he quits. And he already knows it's like he's not going to get, like, put on the neck the ticket when Jackson runs again. But he quits. Andrew Jackson wins another term. And Jackson finishes out that second term. During the course of his full presidency, Jackson does a couple of small things. And when I mean small, I mean massively horrible criminal acts. Jackson does a thing known as the Indian Removal Act. The Indian Removal Act, his, oh my gosh, is an an act that was implemented in 1830. Andrew Jackson, basically, to get revenge on all the Native Americans that wronged him, he creates an exodus. Now, he (coughs) literally did this on his own the rest the government was like no you can't like we can't do that and he was like no i don't care i'm andrew jackson i'm awesome bye and he causes thousands and thousands and thousands of native americans to travel from the united states to oklahoma which was like a wasteland at the time and thousands of them die in a thing known as the trail of tears andrew jackson is like get out you're done i hate you toodles And these Native Americans at this point, guys, and a lot of people don't understand this, um, is that the Native Americans at this point were assimilated into American society. They were normal human beings. They were dressed up in, in, like, clothes. They weren't wearing their little loincloths and feathers. They were just normal people. It is the equivalent to a person today with Native American descent, you know, going to a cafe in Atlanta and the president sending the military and grabbing that guy and being like, off to Oklahoma! Scum. Andrew Jackson was, was a racist. He, he just hated Native Americans, he hated British people, he hated everybody. <laughs> so maybe he wasn't a racist, maybe his hate was equal for everyone, I don't know. But in any case, he kicks out thousands and thousands of Native Americans for no reason at all, just because he felt like it. And he caused the deaths of countless he also had a very sketchy relationship with a woman named Peggy Eaton, who was the wife of one of his cabinet members, John Eaton, and he may or may not have had an affair. Who really knows? Um, his wife did die before this, but still, Peggy Eaton was known as kind of like. not a very wholesome girl, put it at that. So, and Andrew Jackson wasn't the greatest dude in the world either so it would not be a surprise if that was the case um andrew jackson is very uh, weird dude he just kind of just wanted to play the game his own way he was a very effective president because he basically turned the united states Government into his own personal playground, and he made the office of the president a dictatorship. He did whatever he wanted when he wanted, and it's a shock that he never got impeached. Andrew Jackson, despite gaining the most powerful position in the United States, he had some regrets. Of course, and on his deathbed, on his deathbed, um, in, on June 8th, 1845, at the ripe old age of 78 in Nashville, Tennessee, Andrew Jackson was asked, do you have any regrets? And he said, I have two. One, that I didn't shoot Henry Clay. Henry Clay was a rival of his. And, um, two was, um that he didn't hang John C. Calhoun from a tree. So Andrew Jackson's only regrets were that he didn't kill enough people. And he's on the $20 bill. And also Andrew Jackson hated banks and he's on the $20 bill, which is actually kind of a great practical joke when you think about it. It's like a nice slap in the face to a guy that is not great. Andrew Jackson was an effective president he was just a horrible human being. When people say, like, uh, you know, any president nowadays, every single time, we've had this for the past, like, 20, 30 years, the current president, if you don't like him, they're the worst person who's ever been the president ever in the history of the universe. Point to the period. Yeah, and people genuinely believe that. You know, just because, you know, so-and-so made a blog about how a certain a certain president... At any time period, is the worst president ever? It doesn't necessarily mean it's true. You have to actually go back and look at history and dive into it and dissect history. See what I did there? You have to actually look back and look at the historical facts. And if you want to claim that a president is the worst president ever, you ha- or at least as a person, at the very least, because I'm kind of judging Jackson based off his personal skills you have to go back and compare with the other presidents. You have to actually do research. I know that sounds hard, um, but that's the truth. So, you know, especially with the age of the internet, we have people who think that they are historians and that they know everything there is to know. Fact of the matter is that's not true. You have to look back. To asking me, Andrew Jackson was a very effective president. Um... But he was probably the worst human being to ever hold the title of president. He was a horrible guy. He was a bad dude. And maybe if we do a video on his relationship with his vice president, John Calhoun, I will uh, perhaps show more of his wrongdoings. But in the end, Andrew Jackson, great, great, great success as the president of the United States, did a lot of things. A lot of those things were crimes, but he was successful. He did what he was setting out to do, and you have to give him credit for that. As a human being, he's a bad, 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 bad man. But that's what makes researching history so intriguing. You know, when you look back into history, the thing why people keep coming back to history and reading it is because it's this giant story. It's these controversial figures. It's these people that you say, what the heck? How did they, like, get away with this? Or how did they rise to power? Or how were they involved in these big moments? And it happens. It, it's crazy to see how these turns of, these many turn, through many turns of events, people emerge. And events happen, and wars break out, and laws get passed, and a lot of things I never knew about about certain people, places, events, uh, because I just didn't know anything about them. I was never told about them, and I had to research them myself, dive into it myself, you know. And I encourage anyone who's interested by this podcast to research more about Andrew Jackson. Correct me, maybe I did made a mistake. Again, I'm doing this podcast from my car. Um, uh, If you enjoyed this podcast, please just keep coming back to listen. This is actually a lot of fun for me. I love to talk, especially about history. Um, Thanks again for listening to my almost hour-long rant. And I will see you in the next podcast. So once again, thank you all for listening to Dissecting History. Have an amazing day.